Hey, this is Andre Butler, pastor of Faith Experience Church. You're listening to the Faith Experience Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this message helps you engage your faith and experience the future God has for you. Amen. Well, today we're continuing the series we've been studying about the last days. And of course, we've been talking about the fact that there's a lot of crazy things going on in the world, right? We have seen, uh, we've just experienced coming through a pandemic. We've watched uh, an increase seemingly of racial unrest. We've, of course, uh, are dealing with a decrease in morality in our country. Uh, we're always talking about natural disasters. There's an increase in crime, including mass shootings, on and on and on and on and on. I mean, yesterday I was just looking, I looked briefly at the news, and I could see it's like every other topic was a last day's topic. You know, it's another crisis, another horrible thing happening. And, and so, you know, when we're looking at all of this, you know, we do kind of have to ask the question, what in the world is going on? Is this really the last days that God talks about in the Bible? And the answer is, it is that we are in the last days. In fact, uh, we have found out that really we're in the last of the last days, that the New Testament in the Bible is actually a book that was written in the last days for those who would live in the last days, and that we need to do a few things so that we are still thriving in this time and we're making a mark in this world like God wants us to. And so the first week we learned that we need to look up. We talked about all the things the Bible said would happen in the last days, and I've just mentioned a bunch of them. That's what's happening, and the Bible says when these things are happening, look up, you know, keep your eyes up, because that means that Jesus is coming soon. And then last week, we actually looked at the coming of Jesus. We found out, ready or not, here he comes. And so we learned that the second coming of Jesus is uh, predicted multiple times in the Bible, including by Jesus himself that those who believe in him will be raptured. That means they'll be caught up, and actually while we're caught up, we'll be putting on a new heavenly body. We learned that Jesus will come suddenly when people least expect it. So you need to be ready that the rapture will happen before what the Bible calls the tribulation, which is the last seven years of life as we know it on this planet. And it's a horrible seven years that God wants his people to escape And then, of course, we ended up by saying you need to be ready. And you can be ready by choosing to believe in Jesus, by living right before God, not living with unrepentant sin, by doing life with other believers more and more until Jesus returns, and then being busy doing your part, helping him reach people far from him, busy building his kingdom. I want to go back to Matthew chapter 24 today. I'm going to read verse 3 once again. It says, Later, Jesus sat on a Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? So we looked at this, of course, the last couple of weeks. We know that Jesus had just prophesied or predicted that Jerusalem uh, would be overrun, that the temple would be destroyed. And so his disciples are curious about these kind of things. And so they did what a lot of us would do. Okay, when is this happening? And they went a step farther and said, when is, it our, when is it that you're going to come back? Is there a sign, an indication that we should look for to let us know that we're close to your return? Are there signs that would let us know that we are close to the very end of the world? And I won't read all of it, but we know from the last couple of weeks that Jesus didn't just shut them down. He didn't say, well, you know, you don't need to know that. He did the opposite. He gave us an entire chapter of information answering these three questions. He answered the question. He gave them an idea of when this would happen to Jerusalem. He gave them the idea of what events would signal the fact that we're closer to his return or we're close to his return. And then he even got into the things that would happen that will let you know that we are right at the end of the world. And what this shows is that God wants you to know these things. I mean, he wants you to know about the last days. He wants you to be very aware of the signs of the last days. Not all that different than a father who would take the time to teach their kid about money. 
Why do you do that? Why do you say, hey, son, this is how, what you should do. This is what a bank account is. This is, you know, how, this is what investing looks like, et cetera, et cetera. Because you want them to know these things because you know it's going to serve them well later in life. And in the same way, Jesus sat down with us, really, by putting this in the Bible and said, hey, here are some things you need to know for when you are in the last of the last days. It's going to help you to thrive in that time. It's going to help you to, to make a mark during that time, to make a difference in the lives of people around you. And God does want you to thrive in this time. In fact, if we were to read Matthew 24 and a few scriptures down, Jesus talks about us not being troubled, us not being afraid during this time. So although everybody else may be afraid, we are the ones that can be, have peace in the middle of this. We are the ones that can prosper in the middle of this. And we are the ones that can actually experience the greatest success of our lives in the middle of this. And so Jesus is answering these questions. God has us talking about this on Sunday morning because he wants us to know these things. And yet it's going to be very hard for you to know and understand what God is saying about the last days without understanding the book of Revelation. In fact, some of the events that Jesus talks about later on in Matthew 24 are events that the book of Revelation gives us even greater detail on. And so what I'd like to do for the next couple of weeks is actually focus on the greatest book in the Bible. That's right, I said the greatest book in the Bible. Come on, think about it. Who leaves, who, who takes the best and puts it up front? Who takes the best and puts it in the middle? Whenever you go to a movie, the best part of the movie is at the end. If you read a novel, you don't put the novel down in the middle of the novel. You wait till you get to the end. The book of Revelation is the grand finale of God's Word. It is the greatest book in the Bible, and God wants you to understand it. So let's go to Revelation chapter 1. Let's dive into this. Anybody want to learn something about Revelation? I know some people saying yes. Some people are like, I don't know. I, I want to be scared on Father's Day. But I'm here to tell you, this is not a book of gloom, doom and gloom. This is a book of victory. You're going to be so glad that you got into the book of Revelation. It's going to transform your life. Turn to him and tell him it's going to transform you. So Revelation chapter 1. In verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to a servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. So notice that the book starts with the title, the revel, or the phrase, the revelation of of Jesus Christ. And, and there's actually two meanings to that. I mean, two ways we can look at that. Number one, this revelation was given to Jesus, and then Jesus hit share. He sent it to an angel to have the angel hit share. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, you know, on social media, if you like something, you think something's funny, you might hit share so everybody on your page can see it. Or you might send it to somebody to DM because you think, hey, they, they will love this. Well, God wants you to understand the things that are in Revelation. So when Jesus got it, he shared it with an angel who then turned around and shared it with John, who then turned around and shared it with us. So this thing went viral, right? So here you go. We got a revelation that Jesus received that he sent on to an angel to deliver to, to John. But another part of this that we can really get Another thing we can get from this, really, book in general, is that this book is a revelation of Jesus himself. Jesus is the star of the book, not the Antichrist, not the false prophet, not the devil, not all the negative things that happened in the world during that time. No, Jesus is the star of this book. And notice how, we, if you keep reading in verse 3, it says this, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. The first word there is what? 
bless. What's that word again? Bless. Say it one more time. Bless. Turn to somebody and tell them, this is going to bless you. Find somebody and tell them, this is going to bless you. He said, blessed are those who read it. The word blessed here means supremely blessed, fortunate, well off. It's also translated to be happy. One, one translation of this, of this particular scripture, the Amplified Bible says happy or to be envied are those who read this book. So when you get a hold of what's in Revelation, it'll make you happy. It'll make you, to, it'll make you so well off, other people will envy you. This is about to take your life to a whole nother level. And that's what he, John's saying here. Blessed is the man who, who reads this. And blessed is the one who hears this. Because he was writing this to seven churches. So some, one person would get up and read it. And everybody else could hear what was being said. And blessed is the one who does it. Because it, just like the Bible says in James chapter 1, I believe, it's not necessarily the hearer of the word that's blessed. It's the doer of the word. And so once again, you can see God wants you to understand the book because he knows that you can't do it until you understand it. Right? I can't, I can't follow instructions if I don't understand the instructions. And so what we're seeing here is that God gave us this book because he wants us to understand it and he wants us to be blessed. He wants us to be blessed. And let's go a step farther then. It's imperative that you understand this book. I mean, it's really not something that's supposed to be optional. A lot of Christians, if you say, man, you say, have you read the whole Bible? They'll probably say no, and they'll probably say no because they didn't read things like, you know, Habakkuk, you know, Hosea, Joel. Although, honestly, if you're trying to read the whole Bible, those are like two or three chapters. Just go ahead and read a couple of chapters. You read the whole book right, in terms of uh, those, those books of the Bible. But they also would often say, well, I never read Revelation because I don't understand it, uh, because uh, it, it's scary, uh, because I, I just, you know, it has nothing to do with me. I won't be here. And, and that's just not how God thinks. In fact, let, let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 in verse 16. It says, all Scripture, all Scripture, how much Scripture? Would that include revelation? Yeah. Revelation is inspired by God and is useful. It's going to help you. It's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So the book of Revelation is good for teaching. It's good for correction. It's good for instructing you on the right way to live. You need the book of Revelation to be fully equipped to do all the good things God wants you to do on this world. Without this book, you could never be fully equipped. Now, you may have done some good things for God, but you've only done it partially equipped. You know, you only have some of the equipment that you need. You know, it's like trying to cut the grass and not having everything you need, trying to work on a lawn. And so you were able to do some things, but you couldn't do others. You couldn't do any edging because you didn't have an edger, but you were able to cut some of the lawn. Well, you see, some of us, that's how we've been living. We've done some things, but we've been missing the edger. We've been missing, we've been missing this revelation. And yet you need it to be fully equipped to do everything God wants you to do. And let's be frank, it's when you're doing everything God wants you to do that you can have everything God wants you to have. That you enjoy the true future God has for you. So God wants you to get a hold of this book because this book will change your life forever. So now let me give you five truths that will help you to understand the book of Revelation. Five truths that will help you to understand the book of Revelation. Number one, we've already touched on this. The central theme is the revealing of Jesus. The central theme is the revealing of Jesus. You know, that's not actually just true of the book of Revelation. That's true of the whole Bible. The Bible says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What does that mean? Another way of saying that, in fact, I think I did this in my Bible, I uh, wrote it right on one of the first pages, right before a holy Bible, I actually wrote right underneath it, the story of Jesus. The whole Bible 
is the story of Jesus. From the beginning to the end, you find reference of Jesus in Genesis chapter 3. You find reference of Jesus all the way at the end, Revelation 22. And so clearly that would be true of the book of Revelation. It is the, the, the revealing of Jesus himself. Number two, believers have a right to understand Revelation. If you're a believer, you have a right to understand Revelation. If you're not a believer, well, we'll help you understand Jesus, and then you'll understand Revelation. But believers have a right to understand Revelation and understand something about God. God would never design anything with the intent to confuse or disturb you. He wouldn't design anything with the intent of confusing or disturbing you. So the book of Revelation is actually not a confusing book. Come on, doesn't the Bible say God is not the author of confusion? So it's actually not a confusing book. The problem is that most people just have never been taught about it. They just don't know, they don't understand it because nobody taught them. But it's actually relatively easy to understand, and that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to understand it. Think about this. Some people would say the book of Revelation is really is a book of hidden meanings, but that would go against the name of the book. The name of the book is Revelation. Hello? Are you with me? As the name of the book is Revelation. That means that which is revealed or made clearly visible. So God is literally saying, here's a book that I want you to, I want you to get all these truths. I want you to, these things to be clear to you. Number three, Revelation gives parallel accounts of events on earth and in heaven. And this is important. You want to get a hold of this. One of the things that's going to help you understand it, that you'll go in Revelation and one minute you'll be on earth and the next minute you'll be in heaven. So God was, is showing you what's happening on earth and then he's showing you what's happening in heaven. Not all that different than movies that we, we watch. You know, I, I, I love Star Wars, grew up watching all those movies and, you know, there'll be times where you'll see two or three main characters and in one, one scene you'll see, you know, uh, Luke Skywalker in front of the Emperor and the next scene you'll see Han Solo on the planet called Endor and then on the next scene you'll see Lando Calrissian in the Millennium Falcon, you know, and so you'll just jump from one to the next to the next, from one to the next to the next. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You were watching a TV show last night, they probably did that. And you're able to stay with it. That's how the Bible is. That's how Revelation is. You'll go from seeing what's happening on earth to seeing what's happening in heaven. Seeing what's happening on earth to seeing what's happening in heaven. And then right along with that is the next point, uh, and that is Revelation tells of events of the past, the present, and the future. So I jumped ahead, but it fits in. It, it tells of events of the past, the present, and the future. So in your favorite television show, you know, you probably have had some flashbacks right? You're watching the show, you see this character, and then all of a sudden they stop there and they're thinking, and bam, we go right to the back, their past. Now we understand them a little bit better. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right now we get, oh yeah, okay, so now I see why he feels this way and why he did this, because that was what was done to him. Well, in the book of Revelation, you'll go, you'll see God go from heaven to earth, heaven to earth, and then you'll see flashback. And then we'll come back to the present. And then another flashback. Then we'll come back to the present. Then we'll go to the future. But the point is, God is he's showing you, he's telling you a story. The story of Jesus. And then the last one, which I, I skipped over, but I want to make sure I give this to you. Revelation has a number of informational chapters. Now, because I, I love, like I said, you guys know I love sci-fi uh, and, and some of the other shows. You know, I, I, I love watching the type of shows where, you know, the story just keeps moving forward, you know, so they leave you on a cliffhanger, and next week you pick up, and you go, oh, that's great, but one thing that I'll be honest with you, that shows do to get on my nerves sometimes, is they'll throw an episode right in the middle that you will say, it has nothing to do with what just happened and what's going to happen. Am I the only one? Like, do we really have to have a singing episode in the middle of this show? Right? But what happens is often whatever happened in that episode is going to serve you better when you get into the next episode. It kind of acts like a flashback. Right? Something happens, so you just kind of get, oh, come on, man. Can we get back to what was happening? My man was about to die. Now we're talking about this. What was going on? It's an informational show. Revelation has informational chapters. 
So every once in a while, you'll go to Revelation 7 or some other ones, and you'll see God kind of stops the story and just gives us information. And then information helps us as he picks up the rest of the story. Anybody with me? All right, so those three things that can really help you in particular, and that is that, in fact, I'll give you all five things. The central theme is the revealing of Jesus. We have a right to understand Revelation. It gives parallel accounts of events on earth and in heaven. It has a number of informational chapters, and it tells of events of the past, the present, and the future. All right, turn to somebody and tell them, this is going to bless you. Find, find somebody else and tell them, this is going to bless you. Find one more person and tell them, this is going to transform you. Now, I, there's no way on earth I'm going to be able to teach 22 chapters of Revelation this summer. So I'm just going to teach the things God highlights in my heart for me to share. There's a great book by Hilton Sutton called Revelation Revealed that I would encourage you to get a hold of. It's available probably online and, and so many other places that really gets into detail. But I want to, like I said, I'm going to just teach on certain things that I believe God wants me to, to emphasize uh, on Sunday mornings. And so we're going to start here in verse 4. And John begins this letter by giving us a cover letter. Anybody familiar with the cover letter? Anybody remember fax machines? I'm saying that because anybody that's probably under 20, they're like, what's, what's a, a what? A fax machine? Because, you know, they don't, you don't really need them anymore. But it used to be that when you would send a fax, you had to do a cover letter. And you put the, you know, the cover letter, say your name and, you know, you know, the number, the person you're trying to send it to, how many pages there were, and then you put it on top of it, and then you send it back, and then be, and then it goes through, and then you know they got it, right, if it worked. And so John begins this book with a cover letter, but the cover letter by itself is fire. I mean, it is, oof. You're about to find out. Verse 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. And, of course, it appears that they were all in the area that we call Turkey right now. We'll come back to them next week. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful. So notice he begins with this salutation that I, I can't wait to preach on one day because it, you'll see this salutation in um, almost all the epistles in the New Testament. Grace and peace. Grace and peace to you. You having God's grace and having God's peace is God's will for you. And if I were to really try to sum it up really quickly, we could say it this way, God's power and prosperity be to you. Grace is God's unmerited power or unmerited favor, depending on the context. So he's saying, man, God wants you to have his power. The word peace there literally means prosperity. It means to be at one again. So God wants you to be prosperous, man. He wants you to have his power, and he wants you prospering. He wants that for every believer. That's one reason why he gave us this book. So he says grace and peace to you, and then he mentions all three persons of the Godhead. If you know anything about God, God is actually made up of three individuals. There is God the, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. I like to describe it in this way. They are team God. One team, three players. Each player has a different role. Like in the game of basketball, you know, you'll have one player and he's the shooter, another player, he's the defender, another player, he's the rebounder. And, and that's how it is with God. God the Father has a very specific role in this earth and, and, and it's in this story. God the Son has a very specific role in this story. And then God the Holy Spirit has a very specific role in this story. And so he calls God the Father the one who was and is and is to come, the eternal one. Calls the Holy Spirit the seven spirits who are before his throne. And that's a very interesting title for him. There's a lot of different titles for the Holy Spirit in the Bible. Um, but that's one that, honestly, I, I look at that and I get it, and yet I don't. Anybody else there? Okay, one person going to tell the truth. Because I'll be honest with you, I, I look at this, a lot of this I understand, but there's still, every once in a while you'll see something, you'll go, God, why that title? 
And so there's more revelation to be gathered. And then from Jesus Christ, who is the star of the show. Notice what he says about Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth. The faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Notice that. I was reading this and I thought about uh, just the last couple of days with the, the culmination, the end of the NBA Finals. And, you know, I've been a Steph Curry fan pretty much since he came into the league. He's been my favorite player for a very long time. And so he's gotten a lot of disrespect. Uh, and so his team finally won. He was finally Finals MVP, or I should say won again. He was finally Finals MVP. And so, you know, I'm on Twitter and I'm, I'm reading people's comments. And I came across this tweet and it was listing his accolades. Four-time NBA champion, two-time MVP, First time, first finals MVP, eight time all NBA, two time scoring champ, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all time three point leader. You know, and, and you're reading all these accolades, and it's just trying to tell you how great a player Steph Curry is. Well, we're reading the accolades of Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, who washed us, loved us, and made us kings and priests unto God. And these accolades are phenomenal. The faithful witness. What does that mean? Well, of course, faithful means trustworthy. God could trust him. God trusted him to do what? To be a martyr. That's what the word witness means there. To literally be an individual who would die for God's cause. What's God's cause? You, me, everybody that's ever been born on this planet. God sent Jesus to come and die for the whole world, and Jesus proved he was faithful. He loved God so much, he was so trust, so committed to God that he allowed his own creation to beat him, to put nails in his hands and in his feet, to put a crown of thorns over his head, to hang him from a cross naked for six hours. Then he even allowed his enemy, Satan, to drag him down into hell, all because he was that committed to God and he loved us that much. Who does that? Who sacrifices on that level? The Bible says, greater love has no man than this than to give his life for his friend. Right? And so in our country, we just have Memorial Day, and often what happens during Memorial Day is we tell stories of great people who sacrificed their, sacrificed their lives for their brothers or sisters on the battlefield. And we make a big deal out of those people, and we should, but at least they knew them. It was their friend or, or something or on the, on the same team and the same army fighting for the same cause, but Jesus came and died for his enemies. We were against him. We hated him. We didn't want God, but God wanted us. So Jesus came and he died for the very people that were crucifying him because he was so faithful to God and so faithful to even uh, uh, us. He saw what we would become and he died for us. The faithful witness. Another accolade, the firstborn from the dead. What a statement. Firstborn from the dead? Well, of course, when Jesus died, he didn't just die physically. He was spiritually dead, meaning he was separated from God, right? Uh, when Adam sinned, way back in Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 2, uh, chapter 3, excuse me, Adam was separated from God for the very first time, which meant that he, the connection he had with God, he lost. The glory he had on his flesh, he lost. So he said, all of a sudden he noticed he was naked. All of a sudden he became a child of the devil and he was susceptible to anything Satan would try to do in his life. Well, Jesus didn't live like that. When he came into the earth, he was, he was walking with God. He was, God was in him. He was in God. You know, he was being led by God. But the only way we could ever be free was for him to take our place. So what he did was he took our place and even allowed himself to be separated from God. That's why on the cross he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
He had never experienced that before, but he was now getting a taste of what so many in the world are living in right now, life without God. And then, of course, being one of the dead, he was now taken down to the place of the dead, hell. But we know that he was not left there because Satan actually didn't have a right to take him to hell because he had never sinned. It's only because of sin that you have to go to hell. But Jesus never sinned. So what God had done was he tricked the devil into taking Jesus down into hell so that while he was in hell, the Holy Spirit could come in and energize Jesus and he could kick down the devil and take from him the keys of hell and the grave and be the first born from the dead. He was dead, but now he was alive. He was the first man who was born again. And if there is a first, there's a second, there's a third, there's a 40th, there's a 5,000th, there's a 5 million. I don't know what number you are. I don't know what number I am, but I'm glad to be a part of that number. And if you're not in that number yet, you can become alive today. He's the first born again man. Come on, these some accolades right here. The faithful martyr, the firstborn from the dead. And the ruler of the kings of the earth. The ruler, what does that mean? You'll find elsewhere in Revelation, the Bible simply calls him the king of kings. Come on now, it's something to be a king. To have your crown to have your title, to have your domain, to rule and reign there. But it's another thing to be the king of kings. It's one thing to be the king and people come and bow to you and bring gifts to you. But it's another thing when kings come to you and they bow to you and they bring gifts to you because you're the king of kings. That's Jesus, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's not enough. To him who loved us, he loved us even when we were his enemies. He loved us with an everlasting love, an unconditional love. He was known by his love when he walked on the planet, but then he showed the greatest act of love ever when he went to the cross. He loved you this much. He loved us and wash us from our sins. Whose sins? Jesus never cussed anybody out. Jesus never did drugs. Jesus never slept with somebody he wasn't supposed to sleep with. Jesus never lied or cheated. Come on, we can think of all the things that we have done, and I'm not saying that for us to dwell on it, but just for a moment just to think about, you know, just how many sins does one person have? in their life. And you know, the Bible says the wages, the paycheck for sin is death. I mean, one sin, the price for one sin is death. How about all the sins of one person? How about all the sins of everybody in this room, all the sins of this world? Jesus washed all of us from our sins. And if we're washed, we're clean. Oh, you didn't hear what I just said. I said, if it's washed, we're clean. It's like we never sin. We are spotless. We can stand before God as though we are Jesus. Like we never, ever sinned a day in our lives. That's one reason we can come boldly to the throne of God and obtain mercy and grace to help us in time of need. We can pray to God because he washed us from our own sins, all of us. But there's only one thing you could do to get rid of sin. We've seen commercials where, where they talk about how, you know, you're trying to get something out of a fabric and how, you know, you can't use this, this competitor's because, uh, their, their fabric softener, whatever it is, because it won't get the stains out. But there's only one thing that will get the stains out. Well, people have been trying all kinds of things to get the stain of sin out of them. Right? That's why in the Old Testament they would kill goats and they would kill, you know, other animals and they would take that blood and put it on the altar because they, at least it would cover up the sin. 
And people try all kinds of things right now. It's one reason why, unfortunately, people do a lot of things to help other people. It's not just because they love them, but because they're trying to deal with this guilt in my heart. They're trying to deal with this, this filthiness I feel. They're trying to deal with the sin in their life. And so we're trying all kinds of things to get rid of the sin. We're in a world today where what the world is doing is they don't want you to even say what they're doing is wrong because they don't want to feel the guilt of sin. So you are a hater. You are somebody that's a bigot to say my sin is wrong. No, I'm trying to help you get delivered from your sin because what you're doing is not going to help you. What you're going doing is going to make things even worse. But they're trying to get rid of the stain of sin, but it's only one, one, one product that can get rid of the stain of sin in your life. It is the blood of Jesus Christ, and Jesus knew that, so he allowed his own blood to be shed so he could wash that sin out of our hearts and out of our lives so you can be clean again. You can be holy before the Almighty God. He washed us in his own blood. I was watching a movie yesterday on the plane. I was coming back from Miami. I had a chance to go to the VU conference, and it was phenomenal, and and I was watching this movie, and uh, at the, near the end of the movie, they were, you know, it was a disaster movie. And so this family was trying to get to a cave before things just collapsed on them. And so, uh, and the oxygen had disappeared. There was no more oxygen. So what they had done was they had got some oxygen tanks, and, you know, they were using oxygen masks. And so this father, you know, he had his wife, he had his two daughters, his son, and then his son had somebody, and there was another kid. And they're trying to get there. And so this father and his daughter, they're at the end, they're at the end of the, the, the group, right? And the daughter says, Daddy, I can't breathe anymore. And he looks at, you know, her, her oxygen tanks, and the red light's blinking. So her oxygen is out. So he says, it's okay, baby. And he takes his oxygen off, and he puts it on her. And then he says, go ahead, baby, just, you know, remember when we had this incident, just walk forward, left, right, left, right. And she starts walking, and she looks back and says, Daddy, Daddy, what are you doing? And he's starting to, you know, he's already on his knees. He can't, he can't breathe. He said, don't worry about it, baby. Just go ahead. Go, go walk to your mama. And so she just keeps walking, you know, and he sits there, and he just dies. And, and he gave his life so his daughter could live. That's what Jesus did for us. He already had an oxygen mask on. Come on, he was already holy. He was already going to live forever, but our red light was on. If he didn't do anything, we were going to die and go to hell. So he said, baby, here, let me give you my oxygen, and I'm going to go ahead and take on the problem that you had, and I'm going to go ahead and die for you so you can live forever. He washed us in his own blood. I love this last thing. And he made us kings and priest to his God and Father. He made us kings and priest. Somebody say, I'm a king. Somebody say, I'm a priest. Turn to him and tell him, I'm a king. Turn to somebody and tell him, I'm a priest. Not you're going to be. If we're not careful, we'll read that as though when I get to heaven, I'll be a king. I'll, no, 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 no. When you made Jesus the Lord of your life, God kinged you. Come on, y'all remember playing, playing checkers? Right? You Queen me. Well, God kinged you. Right? You got to the right place in Jesus, and he put one on. He put a crown on your head. You are a king. You're one of the kings that Jesus is the king of. So you've been loved, you've been washed, and you've been kinged. Oh, that's, that's good right there. You've been king. You made a, you've been made a ruler in this world. That's why the Bible says we can reign in life right now because of Jesus. So you don't have to be sick. You can rule over sickness. You don't have to be poor. You can rule over poverty. You don't have to let the devil in your house. You can tell him to get out of your house. You don't have to be defeated in the workplace. You can prosper in all that you put your hand unto. We don't have to be ruled here in Detroit and suffer to oft because of all the circumstances here. We're here to cause Detroit to have a faith experience. We're here to cause this whole this situation to turn around because we're the kings and priests unto God. You are a king in your world. Stop letting that imp, the devil, that fool run your life. You have authority. Tell him to get out and get in the Word of God and use the authority God has given you to change your world. 
Kings decree a thing and it happens. You need to start saying what you want to see and stop saying what you are seeing. Kings don't sit around and complain about what's happening in their kingdom. Kings get up and say, this is going to change right now. I'm done being sick. I'm done my kid losing their eye. I'm done with this going on and that going on. I'm a king in my world. And in the name of Jesus, you all will obey me. Come on now, you've been king. It's quite a cover letter, isn't it? Jesus has many, many accolades, and John has given them to us. Just keep reading. I'm going to stop with this, but I, I want to get to this point. I have more to say, but I'm just going to do this. Jump down to verse 9. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that was called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard a voice behind me and a loud voice as of a trumpet, and that's when he began to see and hear the prophecy that he's going to write, write about for the rest of this book. But I want you to notice the circumstances. John says, I'm your brother, I'm your companion, I'm participating in trouble just like you are because of my faith. I'm just waiting on the return of Jesus just like you are. And, and then, of course, he tells them where he is. I'm on the island called Patmos. Well, what is he doing on this island? Now, if I remember correctly, John was in his 90s at this point. And this is the same John that we read about with Jesus back in the Gospels. This is the same John that wrote the book of John. First John and second John, my favorite Bible character outside of Jesus. And, and John in his 90s is one of the only apostles, and he might be the only one, if I remember correctly, that had not been martyred for his faith. It's not because they hadn't tried to kill him, it's because they couldn't. Some, some historians say that they literally tried to boil him and it didn't work. Is there a coincidence that he is the apostle of love, which is what he was, and that when you tried to boil him, you couldn't kill him? Is there a coincidence? I don't think it's a coincidence. So without getting too deep into his story, John has been exiled to Patmos. Patmos is, is like Alcatraz. You get it? He just sent to, he just sent to, to this place it's not a pleasant place to be. Even today, if we sent you to Alcatraz and there was nobody on the island but you, there'd be a problem. And John hadn't done anything wrong. All he has done is love. All he has done is preach Jesus. All he has done is, is be the person God made him to be, and yet he has been exiled to this island called Patmos because of his faith in Jesus Christ, because he will not stop preaching Jesus Christ. Yet, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now that phrase, in the Spirit, is gold. And maybe we'll come back to that because I wanted to preach on that. But I do want you to notice that to be in the Spirit, you've got to actually have taken the time to thank God, to praise God, to worship God. You know, the place in the Spirit, that's a location. Like if I'm in my house, we're in the church. And, and you don't get there by accident. You don't just fall in the Spirit. You make a decision to get to this place called in the Spirit. Right? You make a decision to try to get closer to God. You make a decision to, to praise God and worship God and, and, and pray to God. I mean, the Bible talks about praying in the Spirit. calls that speaking in tongues. So, you know... At the very least, John on this island is thanking God, praising God, worshiping God, praying in tongues. 
And it gets to this place called in the spirit, which is a place where you're more aware of the spirit world around you than you are the natural world around you. It's actually what happens when you come to church. All of a sudden, you realize something God is saying to your spirit. Now, he's been trying to say that for weeks. But sitting in a service, you become more aware of your spirit. More than your body. And John talks about later on in the chapter how even though he was in the spirit, his body fell down. But that's not what he talks about. He doesn't talk about my body. He talks about what I'm seeing, what my spirit is seeing. So he gets to this place where he is in the spirit, a place we should be getting to every day in prayer. Where he, he, he's, he's so caught up in the presence of God that he has a vision from God that leads to the greatest book in the Bible. When did this happen? When he was exiled on the island of Patmos. He was in maybe his darkest moment when he got his greatest revelation. But that didn't happen out of pity. God didn't say, poor John, let me give you something since you're going through this. That happened because even in the middle of his natural circumstances, John chose to maintain his relationship with God. John did not allow his natural circumstances to affect his relationship with God. He maintained his spiritual life. He was on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday morning. So it's, it's Sunday morning. It's church day. Old Testament, New Testament saints, they, start, they worshiped on Sunday morning. It's the Lord's day. He gets up on Sunday morning. He's going to thank God and praise God and worship God. You know, he's going to do everything he would normally do, even in the middle of a horrible, horrible situation. And because he found a way to worship God in the middle of a bad situation, he was abundantly blessed. He was abundantly blessed. See, Satan sends trouble your way to get you to back off of your relationship with God. And it works for so many people. That's why in the city of Detroit, there are more prodigals than pagans. A pagan is somebody that never knew God. A prodigal is somebody that knew God but no longer really walks with God. That's, in our city, that's really what our city is made up of, of people that used to serve God, of people that used to go to church, of people that used to do things for God, but no longer do it anymore because Satan accomplished his mission. He sent them to the island of Patmos, and instead of them thanking God and praising God and worshiping God and still going to church and still serving and pressing into God, even though things are horrible, they allowed their circumstances to harden their heart against God, and they got offended at the church, and they got offended at, at, at Christianity, and they got offended at God, or they decided something else was the answer that I need in my life. And so they allowed their circumstances to push them away from God. And so instead of getting their greatest miracle and their greatest blessing, they went back to the world they lived in. In fact, the Bible calls it a dog returning to his vomit. It tastes even worse now than it did before. You'd have been better off not to know Jesus than to know him and walk away. But after everything that Jesus did for us, the faithful martyr, the one who's the firstborn of the dead, the one who's the king of kings, who loved us and washed us and kinged us. We should let nothing stop us from loving God. We should let nothing push us away from serving God. We should never, ever, ever turn our backs on God. And if you get nothing out of this today, I want you to get a hold of this fact. I want to make sure that there is never another day in your life where you give God your back. I want you, no matter what's going on, to keep on serving God, keep on walking with God, keep on thanking God, keep on praising God, keep on coming to church, keep on serving others, keep on telling people about Jesus. Because if you'll do that in your darkest hour, God will bring in your greatest light. Then you'll see your breakthrough. Then you'll see your victory. Then you'll walk into the future God has for you. But that takes a little bit of toughness. You got to have the attitude that Habakkuk had. Habakkuk 3.17, he said, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, 
Come on now. Though my body may be hurting and my family may have broken up and I just lost my fourth job and I feel like I'm losing my mind and I've just been accused of something I didn't even do. Though my whole world has fallen apart, and those next thing he says, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. This is the proper response. We don't serve God because of what he will do for us. We serve God because of what he did for us. Jesus already came and died and rose again. If you're a follower of Jesus, heaven is your home. You're a king and priest unto God. You already, he's already done more than enough to cause himself to be worthy of your praise. So you need to have the attitude that even if everything in my life goes wrong, I'm still getting up tomorrow. I'm still going to open my mouth and thank God for what he's done. My, I'm still going to praise him for how good he is. I'm still going to worship him for who he is. I'm still going to pray in the spirit for whoever God wants me to pray for. I will praise the Lord no matter what is happening in my life. Those three, Dan, those three Hebrew boys in Daniel chapter 3, you remember the story? Nebuchadnezzar was one of those arrogant kings. He had a, a, a statue, we'll use that term, built, and he wanted everybody in the kingdom to bow down to the statue. And when the music played and everybody bowed down, those three Hebrew boys, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and the bad Negro, um, he wasn't so bad after all. They refused to bow down. And he went to them, he said, listen, when the music plays, bow down, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And they said, we are not careful to answer you on this matter. We're not even going to try to mince words. We're not even going to try to be politically correct. We will not bow down. Our God will save us. But if he doesn't, we still will not bow down. Job said it this way, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. Come on, where, where is that? Now, we got a world right now on the other side of the world, people like us can't even do what we're talking about right now. The fact that you're a believer means you are on the run. They're trying to kill you, kill your wife, kill your kids, kill your pastor. That's what people are living in right now. And they gather together in houses and they, and, 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 and secret and they praise and worship God and they open the Bible. Some of them only got a page of the Bible and they walk around reading it all the time. That's people in the world today in 2022, but we can't come to church when the air conditioning is on. We got nice clothes and our children are safe and gas is a little expensive. Oh, well. And we, wait a minute, wait a minute. And God didn't give me this and this didn't happen the way I wanted. So I ain't going to church no more and I ain't serving God no more. And that Christianity thing, you ain't got this right. You, Jesus already took care of you. He already did what it took for you to worship him every day of your life. He's worthy of every breath you breathe, every song you sing. He's worthy of you worshiping him. You should thank God we have the freedom to worship in air conditioning. And we can worship and nobody's busting here shooting us down. Thank God that your family is healthy and can give you a Father's Day gift. Come on, thank God for what he's done in your life. Even if I die today, I'm going to heaven. I will praise you. I will worship you. I will serve you all the days of my life. No matter what is happening in your world, stick with God. After all he did for you, you should never leave him. There's a scripture that says, Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And it talks about all these different things. It says nothing can keep God from loving us. Nothing should separate us from the love of God. Nothing should keep us from serving him. Got some name tags up here, and they're adhesives. And really, why, how do these work? Well, the idea is once you stick it on, it stays on. This should be you. When you made Jesus Lord of your life, you wrote your name on here and said, God, I'm stuck to you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you because you saw me as I was. You saw what I did. And Jesus, you came and died for me anyway. And you rose again. And you had somebody come tell me about it so I could go to heaven. And then on top of that, 
since I've served you, you've given me wisdom. You put food on my table. You put clothes on my back. You healed my body. You gave me family. You gave me friends. You gave me a church. You gave me a job. You gave me a future. I've got all of this because of you. I will never, ever leave you. I am stuck with you. God is saying, stick with him. We're entering very crazy times right now. The economy by itself is tanking. So much is happening in the world. We will be challenged. Our faith will be challenged. But those of us who follow the example of John will be the ones who will be able to take what Satan meant for evil and turn it to our good. When Satan puts you on an island of Patmos, make him wish he never did. Because that's when you'll praise God even more, you'll serve God, you'll seek God even more, and that's when you'll have your greatest victory. Come on, take a moment right now and just give God praise and glory for the good he's done in your life. Thank you, Jesus, for being the faithful witness, for dying for me, for rising again so I could have a new life, for making me a king and a priest, for loving me that much, washing away my sins. Thank you. I will never, ever leave you. I will not harden my heart against you. I will not turn my back on you or your people or your assignment. You're worthy of every breath I breathe. Being used to glorify you. If you can agree with that, let them know, yeah, that's me. That's, uh, that's, that's where I am. Make that heart decision right now. Even if, you were, even if I were to be slain, I'm not leaving. Like the prophet Elisha wouldn't leave Elijah, and then he got a double portion. That's what you'll have. God will be able to pour out his blessing on you because now he knows he can trust you. You'll never be a double agent. You'll never betray him. So now he can use you and bless you abundantly. Glory to God. And every, as every head is bowed and everybody is closed in prayer, and go ahead and put your hands down if, if they're up. If you've yet to follow Jesus. Man, I don't know that I have to say a whole lot. You can see how much he loves you, how much he went through, including getting you here today or getting you listening to this message today. Just so that you could have this moment, this opportunity the Bible says God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, would not go to hell, would deal with all the things hell tries to bring into people's lives here on earth, but instead could have everlasting life. If you've never chosen to believe in Jesus, I want to help you today to do just that, to make the greatest decision you ever made. Someone else might say, I made a decision to believe in him, but I got away from God. You were kind of talking about me. I allowed certain things to push me away from my relationship with God, but I'm ready to come home. Man, God will welcome you home. There's a story in the Bible of the prodigal son who did just that. Went away from his father's house and then finally realized life is better at home. And when he came home, he wasn't just welcomed with open arms. His father ran out to meet him. But then his father threw a party for him. There was the dancing was so loud you could hear it outside. And that's what heaven's gonna do today. Because you've chosen to come home to him, because he loves you that much. If you're ready to do that, I want to help you as well. So I've given two inv invitations. The first to believe in Jesus, the second to come home to him. If you're ready to do either one of those things, lift your hand right now. I want to pray with you. If you're saying, Yeah, that's me, God. I'm saying yes to you. I'm, I'm ready to become a part of your family. I'm ready to come home to your family. Lift your hand. I see that hand. 
you're online somewhere, lift your hand. Let God know. It's not really about me seeing it. Let God know what you're willing to do. Lift your hand. And if you've raised your hand or you know that you should have, and I, I believe there's some in here to have a little bit of a battle going on in your heart, and that ought to tell you something, right? You're a spirit being, and God is tugging on your heart. You're getting a taste of in the spirit right now. Don't tell God no. Don't, don't do that. That's the whole point of the message. Don't run from him. Run to him. So that's you. You raised your hand, and you know that you should have raised your hand. You can still get in on this. I want you to pray this prayer with me from your heart. In fact, I'm going to ask everybody to pray it with you. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you today to give you my life. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I confess with my mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead. I repent of sin. I'm sorry, Lord. I turn away from it. I'm coming to you. Thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer, for answering my prayer, and for saving me now. And Father, we thank you for those that have prayed this prayer for the first time and anyone else that prayed this prayer to come home to you. We thank you that because of their decision, they're a part of your family, which also means your healing power belongs to them. So we ask that your healing power flow in their bodies, driving out any sickness, disease, or pain. Pray, Father, that you help them to grow in their walk with you, to know the benefits you provided for them and how valuable they are to you. We give you the praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give a round of applause to those that made that decision. Great decisions. Welcome to the family. Thank you for tuning in to another Faith Experience podcast. Remember, God has a future for you.